Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you are with us or you are with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. Never surrender. It's what you've been waiting for all day. Buck Sexton with America Now. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. The future of talk radio. Buck Sexton. Team, welcome to the Freedom Hut. Buck Sexton here with you now. Thank you so much for joining. Oh, boy. I'm down here in New Orleans. Uh, Very thankful to have the hospitality of one of our affiliates, uh, WRNO, down here in New Orleans to do the show today. Lovely place. But as soon as I get off the plane early this morning, I'm just I'm seeing it right away. Mueller probe claims another just a matter of time, it seems, before they get Trump. We have General Flynn pleaded guilty to a charge of lying to the FBI and oh man the media is in full out feeding frenzy mode on this one Um, I have to say I'm uh, getting tired of the exaggeration I'm getting tired of so much of what we've come to expect from the media's coverage of this issue Um, and I I will tell you that this is not what they're trying to make it sound like This is not as bad as they all want to pretend it is. And in fact, it's very troubling. This is a continued theme for Democrats. The criminalization of political differences, the hypocrisy of the Department of Justice and the double standards for Democrats and Republicans when it comes to the law, and just the all-out zero-sum political warfare that has come to define so many different issues in this country, from the Mueller probe to, yes, even the Kate Steinle verdict, which came down last night with all the major charges against Zarate, the shooter of Kate Steinle, not guilty. That happened when I was on air, and I was very uh, frustrated that I didn't get a chance to talk to you about it before the show closed last night. Uh, I knew it was going to come any moment, and I got caught up in a monologue. But the story today, the big story has to do with, well, the big news story this morning has to do with Mueller and the probe, and I want to focus in on that for a moment. So here's the way that it's presented. Here's what they're telling you, that sure enough, yet another senior Trump administration, former senior Trump administration figure, is facing federal criminal charges that where there's smoke, there's fire. And this is more smoke. And it must mean that there's some massive conspiracy that they still can't really define and for which they choose the term collusion. And I keep saying this to you, and that's because it's not conspiracy. Conspiracy is an agreement to violate a federal law. The problem with calling something a conspiracy for the Democrats When it comes to the whole Russia-Trump election situation, is that then they'd have to identify conspiracy to what? Conspiracy to 
get information, conspiracy, they, they can't identify it. But collusion is a much more malleable term. Collusion is, well, you know, they're talking to some Russians and sometimes Manafort like to drink borscht and he has friends named Sergey and Oleg and, and, you know, he likes the, the furry hat and he went to Moscow a long time ago. He's a little too close to the Russians, right? I mean, this is, this is what they're saying. It's just nonsense, right? It's just complete and utter nonsense because they can't even define what it is we're trying to figure out. As I've said to you from the beginning, the, the, what they're really hoping is that there will be some conversation uh, that would involve the administration figures telling the Russians, you know, go hack into the DNC servers. I mean, I think that's the, the only semi-logical hope that they have. But as I've said before, that wouldn't make any sense. The Russians, if they did do that, certainly don't need the help or say so from the administration. And the Russians, if you believe the allegations about Russia collusion with uh, with WikiLeaks, have no problem putting that information out there in the public for anyone to see. So what exactly is the story we're supposed to arrive at here? You have Flynn pleading guilty to lying to the FBI. A lot of people who know nothing about the criminal justice system. I'm talking about journalists now. A lot of journalists who run around like, you know, the First Amendment, I'm protected by the First Amendment, I can do anything because of the First Amendment. They have no real knowledge of how the system works, and they don't know what it's like to be interrogated, which is what a discussion with the FBI is inherently going to be, and they don't understand how easy it is on the spot when any misstatement could be used against you for a criminal charge to mess up. It is the hot seat in a very real sense. Now, do I think that Flynn made a mistake in speaking to the FBI? Sure. But remember, he wanted to keep his job. He was national security advisor. So he must have thought that this was such a... You see, there are two ways you can take this. And the media is saying, well, Flynn lied about it because there's such... There's the grand conspiracy. Flynn lied about this because he's covering up for... Uh, what, that he was speaking to the Russians uh, in advance of becoming national security advisor on policy issues that's you know, within, the, within the scope of his official duties. But they're saying he lied because he was covering up. What I'm saying is he lied because there was nothing to cover up, meaning that he thought this was such a non-issue and so whatever that he was willing and I would say foolish enough to sit down and speak to the FBI about this. Look, the FBI's job is to investigate, but it's also to get convictions, right? It's to, it's to get the, the lawbreakers. And when you sit down with them, you are going to put yourself in a position where they may turn the table on you really quickly and you find yourself in a situation like this, where all of a sudden, from what we know from the chart, I read the charging document. You can read it too, my friends. It's two pages long. It's really quick. It's really easy, right? I mean, this is not a deep dive of research. And it just says, yeah, he lied about two things to the FBI, not things that, all, that matter all that much. One had to do with the conversation that a national security advisor would understandably have, uh, the incoming national security advisor with his Russian interlocutors, about not overreacting to the Obama administration 
which put in place, if you remember, sanctions against Russia because of meddling right before Obama left. So Obama was kind of just, you know, lighting things on fire as he was walking out the door. And Trump's team is saying, hey, hold on a second. We're coming in. Don't worry about it. We're going to take a more constructive approach to this. I just I don't see it the way that so many others understandably because they're invested in it. Their whole their careers, their credibility are uh, placed on the line here. But I don't see this as the devastating revelation that the overwhelming majority of news outlets today are presenting it as. Uh, you know, Flynn pleads pleads guilty to lying to the FBI and will cooperate with Russia inquiry. If he were part of a conspiracy, they would want him to plead guilty to being part of that conspiracy. This is what some of the uh, super sleuths out there at the various mainstream outlets don't understand and don't know. If Flynn were, in fact, about to roll on Trump and not just take his punishment here, eat his peas and say what he has to to avoid jail time, which is what I think is going on. Flynn's just trying not to go to prison. But if he had the goods, as everyone is saying, he would plead guilty to a conspiracy because that helps the charge against the next person up the up the uh, ladder. Uh, and, you know, now they're saying uh, th- this broke. So Flynn this morning, we heard about that. And then we were told that it was either Jared Kushner or KT McFarland, who directed Flynn, this is based on news reports, this is not DOJ stuff, who directed Flynn to speak to the Russians. That's not a crime. There's nothing criminal about this. They have not even been able to identify what the theoretical crime is. And, you know, I also just wanted to uh, take a step back from the, ooh, what's going to happen next? You know, Michael Flynn has... Plenty of detractors. I know some of them. Plenty of people that used to work inside the, you know, the military or the intelligence community, and you know, they say he was a poor manager. Some said that he was not nearly as, as, uh, what's the word? Uh, he, he thought he thought he was more capable than he was in some ways. I mean, you know, but this people say this stuff about everybody. I mean, ask me about some of the former CIA directors, and I'll sub, depending on which one, I've got all kinds of colorful language for you. So that's nothing new. It's not surprising. But Flynn's a guy who served his country for decades, uh, a decorated military officer, and now he's trying to avoid prison time. And for what? For what? Do you sleep sounder at night knowing that Flynn is possibly going to spend three or six months in some federal penitentiary somewhere? Minimum security, but nonetheless, of course not. Do you feel like justice has been done? Justice is the primary, in fact, the the sole purpose, if we're going to be ethical and philosophical about this, that the Department of Justice is supposed to engage it. That's that what, it exists for the purpose of justice, not to make Democrats who are sad about Hillary's loss feel better about the world. That is not why the Department of Justice exists. And there are real consequences here for people. And I keep seeing this. It only goes one way. I'm sorry. It's not whataboutism. It only goes one way. Whether we're talking about the wildly overhyped investigation with scooter libby and oh he leaked a name and you know that it was he didn't leak a name they knew somebody who 
inadvertently leaked a name and then they pretended like because of that, all these terrible things had happened. Meanwhile, the person whose name was leaked is posing in Vanity Fair as soon as she possibly can, getting out there and cashing in on this as much as possible. And now we find out on top of all that she's an anti-Semite. So that just was complete and utter political exploitation and ruined Scooter Libby's life. But they were trying to get at Bush. It was payback for Bush. That's what that special prosecutor accomplished. No justice, just hysteria and payback and politicization. What do we see so far from the Mueller investigation? The same thing. Now, let me line these two before I let you go into break, because I've there's a lot that I want to talk to you about here. And, and we will get into the Kate Steinle verdict as well. A lot of I know it's a Friday. I'm here in New Orleans. I wanted to play some, you know, some fun jazz music for you or something. But sure enough, I we have some business to attend to together, my friends. And we'll talk about the Steinle verdict probably in the, later this hour or early in the next hour. But I, I need to I need to get this out of my system. This is because it, it made me angry today. Sometimes. These stories, you know, I don't just show up here and talk to you about this because it's my job. Uh, I show up and talk to you about it because I because this matters to me, Uh, because, you know, I served alongside men like General Flynn. I've trusted men like General Flynn to defend this country. And I think that anybody who's worn the uniform gets more than just the benefit of the doubt, gets gets a, a lot of, well, of course, respect, but also should be given some deference on these minor issues that come up over the course of an investigation like this. And you can say, oh, Buck, that's not lying to the FBI. Come on, that's a serious thing. Okay, somebody tell me how it's possible that Hillary Clinton is, an, and it's not what about whataboutism, this is all within the last year. This is the same period of time we're talking about. Someone tell me how it's possible that Hillary Clinton violates classified protocols over 100 times and according to the former intelligence community inspector general, as I just spoke to you earlier this week, had the kind of information that could jeopardize sources and methods, that could put people at risk in her emails, that that gets no charges. But Flynn lying about a non-crime does get charges. This obliterates obliterates the sense we we can have that, yeah, the DOJ is good at prosecuting, you know, drug traffickers and human traffickers. And sure, you know, there's some areas where there's not all that much in the way of politics, although apparently there's politics around some murder cases, um, as we'll see in the last 24 hours. But how Hillary gets away with no charges for what she did and Flynn is facing prison time now is just indicative of how filthy the whole system is. And how the you know the Democrats play for keeps, they play dirty, and we sit here like a bunch of Boy Scouts getting fed to the lions. All right, we'll be back. I've got a lot more. Stay with me. I wanted to note that I did. I heard there's great bands playing on the streets here all the time. It's such a fun town, and the food's incredible, by the way. As an aside, and I'm a New Yorker. New Yorkers love to show up in every city across the country and specifically go to whatever the most. Don't worry, we only do this in in Democrat cities. We go to whatever the most bougie, fancy places that they have. And we like, well, it's not as it's not as good as New York. I got to say, I had I had a lunch here in New Orleans. that was as good as any lunch I can remember having in New York City. today. It was really good. All right. Back to substance, though, other than the substance of what was on my lunch plate. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, perfect example of the overreach here. 
Elizabeth Warren uh, shares the following. President Trump's, this is on Twitter, President Trump's national security advisor pled guilty to a federal crime relating to his contacts with the Russian government. This is not normal. This is not fake news. This is a serious threat to the national security of the United States. How much wrong can a sitting U.S. senator get into one statement? First of all, she's a law professor at Harvard, or she was, so I would think she would know that it's pleaded guilty. I'm just saying. And also, uh, that this is a serious threat to the national security of the United States. How? How? We never get to the how. We just, a lot of breathless allegations or, or, or conclusions in this case. Oh, it's not even just an allegation. It's now been proven. At some point, we will have to reckon with something in this country and... I think you, some of you may have an inkling of where, where I'm going with this. Uh, we have gone from over the last, it's really the last, well, let's say 12 months, even though it stretches back into the campaign, too. Trump is a, uh, Trump is a racist. Trump is a rapist. Trump is a traitor. Trump is a white nationalist. Trump is a, I actually can't even think off the top of my head of all the different, oh, Trump is violating the emoluments clause. Uh, Trump is uh, guilty of tax fraud. Trump is, I'm trying to, I can't keep them all straight. None of these things have been proven true, but they're all set by the media. And now the latest one this week is that Trump is, is crazy. That's what they're saying. Or, or Trump has dementia. They're, they're, they're trying to dress it up as though it's, they're giving a, a medical diagnosis. What they're really just trying to say is, you know, they think Trump is crazy. Uh, that, at some point, is what psychologists would call projection. Uh, the media has lost its mind over this guy, over this presidency. Um, it's just not, in, in any rational pers- from any rational perspective, Trump can't be all these things they're saying. And at some point, you would think that whether it's Morning Joe over there saying that they need to remove the president from office, uh, at some point, they may step back and think to themselves... Maybe we're the problem. Maybe we just are throwing a year-long tantrum, and we have lost a connection to reality here. The media, when it comes to Trump, is delusional. And people like Elizabeth Warren with Flynn and what she's saying about that just prove that they are delusional, too. It's appalling as this continues, but we'll have a former DOJ expert on here to talk to us about what's what's real, what's not in this Flynn case, and then we'll talk Kate Steinle's verdict, or the verdict on the Kate Steinle case, so stay with me for that team, and then we'll get into Freestyle Friday. All right, a lot going on in the world of the law. Uh, There are a couple of major criminal justice issues in the last 24 hours we've been talking about, and we've got an expert to uh, help us work through the issue of the day, which is the Mueller probe and the latest that Flynn is pleading guilty, has has pleaded guilty to lying to the FBI. What can we actually read into all this? We have Hans von Spakovsky with us now. He is a senior legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation, former FEC commissioner and a DOJ lawyer. He's also the author of Obama's Enforcer. Hans, great to have you back. Thanks for having me back. All right, so what's real, what's not? How big a deal is the Flynn plea of guilt for lying to the FBI? 
Well, you know, they filed a two-page, what's called an information with the federal court that described the, the conduct that he's pleading guilty to. And what's interesting about it is, yeah, he's being charged with violating the federal law that says, you know, you can't lie to an FBI agent. But when they described the underlying conduct, the underlying conduct was perfectly legal. What he lied about was the fact that he talked to the, when he was part of the transition team, he talked to the Russian ambassador about Russian sanctions and about a U.N. vote that was coming up. What's so interesting about this is that, look, if he had simply told the truth to the FBI when they asked him about it, he wouldn't be in court and he wouldn't be in trouble because there was nothing illegal about talking to the Russian ambassador. In fact, look, I bet if you check every presidential transition team, talks to the Russian ambassador. Why? Well, because they, we, they, they, they need a stable transition between administrations because of all the nuclear weapons that the Russians have. So if he hadn't gotten embarrassed, if he, hadn't, if he had told the truth, he wouldn't be in court. What do you make of all of the uh, amateur legal analysis that's being done out there today by, from what I see, a lot of people in the media, in the news media, who have no legal training, and they're saying, oh, don't be so foolish. This means that they've got the goods, that, that, that this is 100% proof that they've got the goods on Flynn because of how the process is playing out. I mean, I've read people like Andy McCarthy and, and others who I trust on the issue today, and there's pretty there seems to be a pretty widespread, uh, at least, willingness to withhold judgment on this because maybe they just have Flynn for lying. And I mean, t tell me what's true there when it comes to reading the tea leaves. What what can we see, and what is just supposition? Well, look, the supposition is that there's a lot more to this, and that, and that they agreed to a plea deal only for lying because maybe supposedly he's going to be a witness to tell them all kinds of other things that were supposedly done wrong. But so far, that that hasn't happened. And uh, again, I, I think a key thing here is that there's absolutely nothing in this plea deal that lends any support to, to the idea that the um, Trump campaign colluded with the Russian government and Russian hackers to change the outcome of elections. There isn't anything there. In fact, the only conversations they cite are talks about uh, the sanctions vote that was going on in the U.N. So that, then that has nothing to do with changing the outcome of our uh, election. Particularly and these conversations took to place as... The election. These conversations, Hans, I've been telling everybody today, took place after... Yeah, you said after the election. Right. That's quite a way to try to collude. Try, you know, this is like trying to, to fix a boxing match after one guy has already been declared the victor. Right. And again, we we got to go back to the fact that, look, Flynn was going to be coming in as an advisor on national security issues. The transition team would want him, just like for any other president, talking to uh, people in the foreign policy field, including foreign ambassadors. There's nothing unusual about that. Again, if he had told the truth, uh, he wouldn't be in trouble. Speaking to Hans von Spakovsky, author of the book Obama's Enforcer. He's a former DOJ lawyer himself. Hans, what do you think the next steps are? Where does this go? Because we, we've got a couple of the figures in this whole investigation that people have all along thought 
might get jammed up, as we said, the NYPD, right, might get caught up in this somehow in a way that they'd be in some criminal jeopardy. Manafort and Flynn. And then you got Papadopoulos and the other guy, uh, I can't remember his name now, that, you know, they've also been caught up in this. But anything beyond this would be a new figure. Do we have any inclinations or any real sense as to who the next stop on the Mueller train might be? No, but it's important to note that in, in, in every single indictment and plea deal that has occurred so far, Manafort, Papadopoulos, uh, now Flynn, look, Papadopoulos and Flynn were gotten for lying to the FBI when they were questioned about it. In both cases, there was nothing illegal about the underlying conduct. And the Manafort case, he, he was indicted for all this activity that had nothing to do with the campaign was related to his private business and all took place before he even got involved in the campaign so once again we have all these cases not one of which has produced any evidence to support the actual objective of the Mueller investigation which is to look at whether there was any collusion with the Russians on the election so far nothing having to do with that is there any Jeopardy that you can see that this that this could be uh, creating for the, the the Trump team going forward. I mean, if you were to look at this in the most negative light, you know what would be the the purpose of giving Flynn a deal unless they thought they had more. That's what we keep hearing, right? They, they, but right. can Flynn get a deal just for agreeing to cooperate without necessarily having the goods? I feel like that's a very important distinction that's getting lost in all the frenzy over this today yeah because you know if, if, look there there's a whole there's a reason why over 90 percent of criminal prosecutions whether you're talking about state or federal end up in plea deals why well because the lawyers nego- can no- negotiate better deals for for a punishment for their clients than they do if they they go to court yeah maybe this deal means that flynn has some unknown information that's going to help Mueller's investigation but on the other hand there, this may be it. They may not have found anything else, and and Flynn decided with his lawyers, I'll negotiate a deal so that I'll get uh, something better than I would if I go to court. And Flynn saying stuff like, my conduct was bad, I'm sorry, I was naughty, all that, that's kind of to be expected, right? If you take a federal plea, you want to do the whole I'm sorry thing, even if you're not that sorry. Yeah, you, usually uh, what lawyers advise their clients to do is that Uh, Look, if you do a plea deal and you're then going to be sentenced by a judge, you had better acknowledge your guilt and apologize for what you do, because otherwise, if you come in unapologetic, you're going to get a much worse deal from the judge. Are you worried that this is going somewhere that would be putting aside? I mean, obviously, there's there's a there is a partisan witch hunt aspect of this. I I think it's the overwhelming uh, motivation for what's been going on with the Mueller probe over the last year. Uh, but are, are, are you concerned that from the perspective of a major crisis at the very top of the White House would be a problem for the whole country? Are, are you worried about that, Hans? Or do you think this is going to end with, is this whole thing going to end with a whimper? Well, you know, I, I hate to predict. I, I, I suspect it's going to end with a, with a whimper unless there's uh, all this unknown information we don't know. But like I said, so far... Three different, actually four different indictments, and not a single one provi- provided any uh, any evidence uh, that, of any kind of Russian collusion. They were all uh, connected to other things. 
Hans von Spakovsky, senior legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation, author of the book Obama's Enforcer, Eric Holder's Justice Department. Hans, always great to have you. Have a fantastic weekend, sir. Thank you. Same to you. All right, team. Uh, we are going to come back and, and talk about an, another bombshell legal uh, case. And this one, I, I, you know, last night I was on air, I knew the decision was going to come down and I got so caught up in what we're talking about in the third hour that I didn't even get the opportunity to address it last night when it came down because we're getting towards the end of finishing up the show. And it's the verdict about uh, the Kate Steinle murder. I, I we, we will talk about this. It, it was uh, jaw dropping. It was astonishing. I am rarely surprised in these matters. And this one was a surprise for me. I will admit it. Uh, and, and it also has really rocked what little faith I have in the justice system. Uh, or perhaps a better way to put it is that it has just solidified my sense that there is no such thing as justice in this country anymore. There's just politics. That's a very cynical view, but unfortunately, I think it's a very accurate one these days. We're going to talk about that uh, verdict in the Kate Steinle shooting, how this could have happened, how a not guilty verdict could have come down on the manslaughter char- uh, charge. It's it's We'll get to it. Stay with me. Right now, Brian, this certainly would seem to suggest that Michael Flynn had a fair amount of information to offer the special counsel in return. That's right, George. He has promised full cooperation to the Mueller team. He's prepared to testify, we are told by a confidant, against President Trump, against members of the Trump family, and others in the White House. He is prepared to testify that President Trump, as a candidate, Donald Trump, ordered him, directed him to make contact with the Russians, which contradicts all that Donald Trump has said at this point. As well, we're told that Flynn made the decision to cooperate only in the last 24 hours, that he is distraught about the decision, but feels he's doing the right thing for his country, that he was facing okay, huge okay. Very, very important, very important. Dollars, Let's uh, cut, cut, cut that off now, because that's ABC News with Clinton operative turned journalist George Stephanopoulos saying that candidate Trump, that means pre-election results, Trump told Flynn to reach out to Russia. There's a problem with that. The actual report is that President-elect Trump, and ABC News, I should note, is issuing a correction now, President-elect Trump told General Flynn, who was the incoming national security advisor, to reach out to Russia. That is not strange. It is not weird. It is certainly not criminal why would a major news organization get that wrong? It makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it? Right? I mean, it's the difference between, hey, did you did somebody give you the, the, the answers to the test before you took it? No, they let me check the results of the test after with the answers. Well, that's like, did you cheat or did you not cheat? That's a very that's a very important timeline difference, but they got that wrong here. Oh, what a surprise. And as I've said to you, always remember that they get it wrong in a way that is negative for Trump every time. They never get it wrong in Trump's favor. That tells you something, doesn't it? You never hear, oh my gosh, that, that really positive story ran on Trump. It was totally wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that. Uh, we have Bill in Virginia online. Bill, welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. What is up? Yeah, man, I was just wondering, I mean, what, what can we, we the people do? to fight back against this. Oh, oh man, I, I you know, 
I, I wish I, I wish I had a, a, a neat and, and clean and straightforward answer. Uh, you know, you just you just got to do what you can every day to live with integrity and spread the truth and be honest and be honorable and not let this get you down. Because there's there's a major campaign right now to undo a political movement in this country that I, I still believe, you know, I'm I was not an early Trump adopter by any stretch. And, and I, I, I had my misgivings and. I disagree with the man on some things and all that, but I still think there's so much good that can be done by this administration. And and it's such a necessary corrective in so many ways to the eight years of the Obama administration. And yet here we are, man, they're they're literally trying to they're it's not enough for them to focus on the next election. They want to undo this past one. And that's what this all comes down to. It's payback. This is about payback for Hillary's loss. And and as a as a citizen, as a good American, what can you do? I don't know. Try to try to just not let it get you down. Try to spread the truth. I mean, they're, they're out protesting and all, and us, the people on the right, the good conservative people of this country, we have to work every day. And yeah, I don't under, I just I don't understand how this is going on. I've got my TV on CNN right now. You're to think Flynn just shot Obama or something. And I mean, it's, it's it, they are acting like it is they're acting like it is tree. They're acting like treason has been proven here. Right. They're they're acting like uh, something terrible has happened here. And lying to the FBI. Thank, thank you for calling in, Bill. Uh, lying to the FBI, <laughs> as I was saying to you, people agree to speak to the FBI because they think that they haven't done anything wrong. If you are if you if you're a criminal. If you've done something really bad, okay, for those of you out there, you know, if, if, if you've done something real bad and you know that if the FBI gets you, you're going to prison for a long time, you don't want to speak to the FBI. If you are a senior administration figure and you're like, look, well, what's the big deal? Yeah, then you speak, and pe- then you speak to the FBI and people will say to me, well, Buck, why would he lie? And I'd say, you know, because he got embarrassed, because he thought it looked bad, because he thought he could, you know, he could get away with it. Keep in mind, the only reason we even know about all this is because somebody leaked a conversation between Flynn and the ambassador. A deep state element broke the law. Where's the prosecution for that felony, everybody? How's that leak investigation going? Oh, nobody on that one yet. You know, it's amazing. You know, with Democrats, the law is the law until it's not, and it changes day in and day out. You know, I see see stuff. I was... I was reading a story just a few weeks ago, and, you know, this isn't something that necessarily you would think a, a conservative like me would get all fired up about, but it really did It really did make me angry, and it's something I'll just share with you now. And this is the difference between me and a leftist Democrat, or, or me and some of the progressivizing never-Trumpers out there who all of a sudden sound just like Democrats. There was a young man, I can't remember where it was, uh, I think it was down actually in the neighbor, you know, the, roughly in the part of the country where I am right now. And he's an African-American man, I think maybe early 20s, and he requested a lawyer. And he said, he said, give me a lawyer, dog. And the district attorney, and they then continued the questioning and did not bring him a lawyer, and he made some statements uh, that ended up being used against him. And the district attorney was claiming that uh, he, he didn't request a lawyer because he said he wanted a lawyer dog. Now, I'm quite sure that that, that, that young man... Uh, was not requesting canine legal counsel, and everybody knew that. Now, that's disingenuous. That's wrong. That's not ethical, okay? Whether the, the, he was, he's entitled to due process. This is an American citizen. 
here in this country accused of a crime, he's entitled to due process. And I'm a law and order kind of guy, but I don't want the cops bending the rules or breaking them to put somebody away because I've got principles. With Democrats, there's there's none of this. They never have that moment. They go, hold on a second. Even if someone's guilty and we don't like them, they deserve... Their actually, they deserve their due process rights. They deserve to be treated fairly by the system, right? It's just all about the scoreboard. In this case, it's all about the anti-Trump scoreboard. I didn't even get a chance. Okay, so Kate Steinle, I, I wanted to talk to you about this. Uh, Kate Steinle's case, I'm transitioning here quickly because we're going to be getting into this much more in the next hour. When I was on air with you last night, I, I said, you know, I'm assuming he's going to be guilty. I thought it would be involuntary manslaughter. I don't think that Zarate, who was accused of of being responsible for her death, I don't think that Zarate necessarily tried to kill her in the sense that he pointed a gun and said, I'm going to shoot that woman. But if he shot a gun that he was illegally in possession of, he's responsible, as you know, for every every round that leaves that firearm, legally or illegally owned. He's responsible for what happens with it. And involuntary manslaughter is exactly what we're talking about here. And somehow a jury... In Sanctuary City, left-wing loon San Francisco did not convict him and on any of the counts having to do with murder. It's an appalling miscarriage of justice with Kate Stanley. A lot of stuff here with immigration. We're going to talk about that coming up here in just a few minutes. Stay with me. All right, to talk with us now about the Kate Steinle murder trial verdict. We have uh, attorney Emily Campagno on the line. Emily, good to have you back. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me on tonight. Bud. Okay, so what happened here? How is it possible that a guy, I don't think the facts of this were in dispute, really. There's a guy who, uh, he's been deported five times. Now they want to deport him again, which would be his sixth. I guess the sixth time is supposed to, to actually take. Uh, he's been deported five times. He has a, he, he gets a firearm. I think he stole it from a vehicle in San Francisco. He fires it. It kills a woman on a pier in her father's arms, Kate Steinle. He's charged with crimes, including involuntary manslaughter, and he's only found guilty of a weapons charge. How does this happen? I mean, I think this at its core is a case of you can never predict what the jury is going to return. And you and I have discussed so many cases on this show where everyone is frankly shocked at the verdict that a jury returns. But let's dig a bit deeper for a second. So first of all, I don't disagree with your um, synopsis of the events, but the two portrayals um, presented to the jury were basically, one, he found the gun, you know, whether or not he stole it himself from the car or he claimed, the defense claimed he found it under a bench just prior to the shooting. Uh, Prosecution story was he stole it himself and brought it to the pier. And then he claims he accidentally shot it. It scared him, and therefore he tossed it into the bay and ran. Prosecution's theory was he purposely shot it, and upon seeing Kate Steinle die, you know, get hit, that he, out of fear, threw it in the water, and that points to his grasp of the seriousness of it, and then ran away. But also, here's, here's the thing that troubles me so much about this, besides the obvious. What the jury returned is... The fact that if you are handling a weapon and it discharges and it kills someone, that you are not legally culpable in any way for the consequences. And that is what involuntary manslaughter is for. 
That is what criminal negligence is for. If you drive a vehicle drunk and you kill someone and you don't mean to, you are accountable. If you handle a weapon, a loaded gun, and it discharges whether or not you meant to and it kills someone, you are held accountable. Now, this is the same city, mind you, San Francisco, that a jury found a woman who owned pit bulls who killed, they mauled and killed her neighbor. They found her guilty of murder. Now, murder requires malice. So here we have juries that um, convict someone of murder for owning a dog that kills someone, and yet not even involuntary manslaughter for a man who shoots a weapon, who merely even handles a loaded weapon on a tourist pier in San Francisco. To me, that is the worst travesty of all. And I know that there was a there have been a few cases, very high profile cases in San Francisco, where people were hold uh, were held criminally liable for conduct that was uh, that was either re- that was reckless, but did not in any way uh, have intent as part of the uh, the lethal action. Uh, a dog owner, right? There was a dog owner in San Francisco in the same court, in fact. Uh, I think you tweeted about this, Emily, who mauled and killed the neighbor. The dog owner was held liable. Exactly. Yes, that's that's the case I just mentioned. So this dog, a dog owner um, was held liable, was convicted for murder, meaning that she had to have malice simply for owning pit bulls that mauled and killed a woman. And, you know, I don't mean to say simply to degrade that conviction, but what I, I cite it to show the inconsistency here and how atrocious, in my opinion, it is that we that that jury refused to hold accountable such reckless behavior. And the whole issue here is that it doesn't matter about intent. And that, frankly, is the biggest problem I had with the chief public defender, Matt Gonzalez's public comments after the verdict was read last night. He said, quote, you know, it was simply an accident. And my point and the law's point is that it doesn't matter if it's an accident, that there are laws that hold you accountable nonetheless that we as a society acknowledge that things happen, fatal accidents happen that you didn't mean, but if your conduct was so reckless as to exhibit conscious disregard for the safety of others, and by the way, that's a reasonable person standard. So, for example, do you remember the Oakland warehouse fires? That landlord, the manager of that warehouse, was charged with 37 counts of involuntary manslaughter, meaning... He, he managed a reckless or an environment that was, you know, decrepit. The wiring was faulty. And therefore, we said as a society, look, it was so reckless that a reasonable person would know that it was just conscious disregard for human life, for safety. You know, that's driving a vehicle wasted or drunk, sorry. So the whole point, it goes back to it doesn't matter about intent. You don't need intent for this subset of the law. It's, 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 I am extremely upset about this verdict, as you can tell. Yeah, and you know, we go back to, uh, for example, in the discussions of the Hillary Clinton email and, and classified uh, protocol violations over the course of, of her private email server, and, and I kept coming back to this discussion about how, look, in, in that case, and I think you can also argue that once you get beyond a certain number of violations, it feels like that there isn't that, that intent actually is a case you can make. But the standard, the statutory standard for Hillary's uh, for Hillary's classified information handling was was either intent or recklessness that it was actually in the statute, meaning that if you were not being responsible as a person could be expected 
to be under the circumstances, you could be held criminally liable. Now, for political reasons, they chose not to charge Hillary. But I mean, as far as I can tell here in San Francisco, if somebody's, you know, walk because it was illegal for him to have the weapon. This wasn't like he was at a shooting range and, you know, a round skipped somewhere and this was a freak accident. Freak accidents can happen at shooting ranges. Uh, but this was a guy who was in criminal possession of the weapon, fired it. And then somehow this jury finds him not guilty. I mean, Emily, I know you weren't there. You weren't a part of this case, but you are a lawyer. What do you think the jury was thinking? I mean, how, do, how do they come to this conclusion? It is so difficult to try to surmise what is in their minds. Um, but to respond to your, to your two points there, first of all, the Hillary Clinton email classified thing, that's it's actually an excellent analogy, and here's why. Because the, the um, group of statutes, that apply to her situation incorporate a spectrum of intent. So picture, picture um, someone who does something bad, right? And there's a kind of commensurate mental state with each. You know, you really want to hurt someone. You have incredibly evil intent. Uh, you kind of don't care. Maybe you, you want to hurt them or maybe you, you, you truly didn't mean anything by it, but you were just very reckless with your actual behavior. You know, there's kind of a spectrum there. And the whole point is that with the Hillary Clinton, with those classified statutes, there is a commensurate charge with each level of intent. So if you are simply, if you have simply done it, but you maintain and it's you and a reasonable person in your applied, a reasonable person standard agrees, you know what, all the evidence points to the fact that you are simply basically stupid with this, then you are still on the hook and it's a general intent and you are still liable. And that's again, what involuntary manslaughter is. Now, going back to your question about the jury, I mean, it's, it's so difficult to surmise, but I go back to that overhanging rubric of that they refuse to hold him accountable. And the other part that is totally nonsensical to me is that according to California law, involuntary manslaughter has a portion that accounts for a death arising from an underlying felony. And the fact that they convicted him then of that, as you pointed out, felony possession of a weapon, well, a death, a, a death occurred stemming from that felony. So how then can you not logically correlate that that's involuntary manslaughter? So to me, that was a complete legal failure right there as well. That, that I have no idea how that is explained away. We're speaking to attorney Emily Campagno. She's a legal analyst. Emily, the uh, Justice Department, as I understand it, has a warrant out for Zarate's arrest. They're saying uh, that they may, they're considering, well, they're going to deport him, but there's also the possible consideration of uh, some federal charges that would be added on here. What, what could we, what could we see? Is, is this just a continuation of the deportation process or are they going to look for like a, 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 you know, deprivation of civil rights charge or something? I mean, how could the federal government get involved after this verdict comes down? Right. It pretty much pertain. Everything would pertain to the deportation status or that the weapons charge. Now, just for listeners to be clear, the reason why, and this is this is basic, but you know, let's let's work from the ground up. The reason why the Fed can't come in and and prosecute them and take over and say, "Look, state, you failed, so we're going to hold them accountable," is because they didn't have jurisdiction. So, so approaching this situation, the murder is off the table, unfortunately. So all that the Fed can do is prosecute him with charges related to, um, you know, yes, felony possession of the weapon, uh, felony reentry after deportation, that's another charge, 
charges, felony charges relating to his, um, his basically kind of parole situation. Note, however, that a weapons charge could bring up to 10 years incarceration. So this could be a situation where, and we've seen it in a lot of high-profile cases, where, um, you know, a, a clear guilty person or a clear responsible person, let's say, is, get, is, you know, released of all culpability by a jury. And then they get on the hook later on for something small. And then we see the whole book thrown at them for a penalty. And an example would be, you know, the OJ situation, obviously, where he, they eventually got him on the hook for robbery. And then all of a sudden he's spending years and years in jail. But then that begs the larger question to me, and I know you're interested in this too, Buck, of, well, how, how much more money are we going to spend on this illegal immigrant murderer? Do we want that? Do we want our tax dollars to pay for trials and then to pay for his incarceration? I don't. But we certainly want to see him serve time for his heinous crime, the fact that he murdered someone. So I also think, you know, there's prosecutorial discussion, of course, but that goes into it, too. Um, And I, I personally would love to see a prosecution for him and then a penalty, just the maximum penalty. And I think the most disheartening thing would be to see more tax dollars spent on trying this individual to only have him serve, you know, almost next to nothing. I just, it seems to me that, you know, what's, what's the worst punishment we could let you? Do you recall back in the, in the, uh, in the days of the Trayvon Martin case, if I recall, they they were, uh, Eric Holder's DOJ, they were going to try to bring some, some kind of federal charge of, do you know, it was like a civil rights violation though. And that, do you remember what I'm talking about? So I, I was wondering if they, uh, if they would try something similar here, although they won't, but I, I guess they could. But I, they're, I, I don't like the whole double jeopardy aspect of some of this sometimes. So that's a whole separate discussion. But yeah, as to the federal, the actual federal charges here of being in the country illegally, he's been here. This would be the sixth time he's deported. Uh, how can anyone have any faith, Emily, in the uh, immigrations and customs enforcement system we have in place when Zarate, who... I'm assuming is not some criminal mastermind has been kicked out of the country five times, which is quite a feat because a lot of people manage to stay here for a long time illegally. Uh, and now he's going to get sent back. I-, I wouldn't be surprised if this guy turns back up in the U S in a few years. I really wouldn't. I know. I, I agree. I think uh, it- it's, it's so troublesome. And to respond to your question, I mean, I don't know. I think frankly, a lot of us have, have lost faith in many arenas of the criminal justice and border protection system right now. And I don't want to in any way demean all of those putting, you know, those brave men and women putting their lives on the line every day for our border security. But if this guy keeps getting through and he's basically, you know, a a low level, his prior convictions were for drugs, as again, Chief Public Defender Matt Gonzalez commented on. He doesn't know Kate Steinle, which to me was another ridiculous point to make. It it doesn't have, it has nothing to do with that. Um, But I agree with you. And I think the biggest failure to me is that sanctuary city policy. Let's go back to the reason that he was walking free anyway. You know, not only because he was back in the country again for the fifth time, but because the sheriff's department refused to communicate with the federal government, federal law enforcement agencies to let them know that this guy was walking free. So in my opinion, the city of San Francisco and the state of California have literally gotten away with murder. That's what sanctuary cities do. They got away with murder last night. That is the most troublesome thing to me. I mean, it's absolutely, it's it's totally ridiculous. Emily Campagno is a legal analyst. You can follow her at emilycampagno.com and on Twitter, C-O-M-P-A-G-N-O. Emily, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Buck. Have a great night. You too. Uh, just what I was 
kind of quasi-mumbling about there for a second, guys. Eric Holder was, in fact, after the uh, Trayvon Martin case, uh, thinking about bringing civil rights charges against uh, Zimmerman. And, and on his way out from being attorney general, Eric Holder was actually saying they need to make the law different so that it would be easier, even after somebody is not found guilty in a criminal trial for a murder, um, it would be he wanted it to be easier to bring a federal civil rights case against that person um, because if there was a racial angle, which clearly that would be a whole, you know, I don't think anyone's that, that's not a charge that the Trump administration has leveled here. But that there are ways that the federal government tries to, in a sense, retry people for different things. All right. Um, why did this happen in San Francisco? What does this say about our immigration system? I want to talk to you about that right after this break. Stay with me. Well, I was deeply disappointed in the verdict, but I do respect the jury system. They probably had a difficult time um, establishing intent. Uh, the fact that the Justice Department is now looking at whether it has op- options is, um, is worthy of our consideration. You know, we are a compassionate country, but if someone continues to, co- to commit crimes in this country, they don't have a right to stay in this country. And this gentleman uh, was convicted five times of manufacturing drugs and possession of drugs, in addition to having come back into the country four or five times. He shouldn't be here. That's a key point. And that's coming from a Democrat out in California, Jackie Spire. He shouldn't have been here in the first place. What does it say? What does it say about our ability to control our border that people who are deported not once, not twice, not three, not four, but five times can still get back into the country. I don't think Zarate uh, had night vision goggles and advanced tactical training to get around Border Patrol, okay? I I think it was probably a pretty straightforward process. And the city of San Francisco, look, it it has blood on on its hands here. There's no question about it. Kate Steinle is dead because San Francisco thinks that federal law should not apply, that federal law doesn't matter, and that if you can get into, if you break the law to come into the country, you should be allowed to stay, and every effort should be expended on your behalf to allow you to stay. It is a, a very troubling, but unfortunately very widespread mentality in this country, particularly in Democrat urban strongholds, Places like New York, where I'm from, uh, obviously San Francisco, Los Angeles, Chicago. And it is one area that the Trump administration is going to have to really dig into in the next year if it's going to make any headway uh, before. Well, it might already be too late because I think the midterms are going to take up so much of uh, the attention on. Well, attention from what's going on on Capitol Hill. But why would the jury not find involuntary manslaughter here. There's a lot of reasons people could put out there that they shouldn't have charged first-degree murder or premeditated murder here. Uh, yeah, I think that they, I think they overcharged. Um, I, I'm not closely familiar with all the aspects of the case, the transcripts. He was interrogated by police for, I think, four hours. But I've read the excerpts of it and I'm familiar enough with what happened here. I don't think that anybody believed that this was a uh, a premeditated assassination of a woman that this uh, illegal alien had never met before, but he's responsible for it. And he was committing a crime when his irresponsible act occurred. 
So why would a jury in San Francisco not convict? Here's what I think. Here's the bottom line on this. They have been so programmed to have the deepest sympathy, more sympathy for an illegal alien than for a fellow American. That's what the jury in San Francisco, I think it really, that's what it turned on. They've been propagandized to so much by the media and the Democrat Party that illegal aliens are a a class of people in this country who deserve additional and special protection. And this was an opportunity for San Francisco, for at least 12 San Franciscans to say, you know what, we are willing to support sanctuary city status even when it means that it's going to kill fellow Americans. That's what they're saying with this verdict. We'll be back. All right, see, now we can get into a bit more of a Freestyle Friday mode. I, I know it's, it's been, look, we've had important news to cover so far on the show, and I haven't even had a chance yet to tell you how jealous I am that Miss Molly was able to uh, eat some beignets at Café du Mont, and I had to just watch as she enjoyed the sugar-covered beignets down here in New Orleans. I hope I'm saying it right. Someone from New, someone from New Orleans needs to write me and tell me if I'm if I'm close. I've heard it's well. I'm going to get better at it over the next few days. That much I promise. I, I did learn over the course of the show that it is in fact Oregon, unlike many of my New York City com- uh, fellow uh, urban dwellers who say Oregon. There's a lot of that that goes on. Oh, and it's action movie quote Friday. So let's do it. Hit it. Action. The Marine Corps is like a day on the farm. Heavy meals and banquet. Formation of parade. I love the call. Movie. What's the matter? The CIA got you pushing too many pencils. Quote. Uh, you know what old Jack Burton always says at a time like this? Jack Burton. Me. Fridays. Thanks for the advice. Action. Movie. Quote. Fridays. Yes, indeed. 844-900-2825. Action. Movie. Quote. Friday. Finished watching uh, Narcos Season 3. Uh, recently, and it, it is phenomenal. I was surprised that without the storyline of Pablo Escobar, which is one of the great true crime stories of the 90s. I mean, I think that it you, you have to put the O.J. Simpson trial and all that is probably the number one spot <laughs> from the 90s. But I think Pablo Escobar comes up at the number uh, the number two spot for just the most incredible story. And and uh, Narco season three looks at the Kali cartel and does a very, very good job, I have to say. So action movie quote Friday got me thinking about that. Oh, one other thing that's gotten lost in the shuffle, other than our action movie quotes that we can discuss here on the show and my culinary experiences down here in Louisiana, Louisiana. I'm getting better at that, too. Uh, the GOP says it has enough votes to pass the Senate tax bill. Hmm. Look at that. Well, would you look? Come out to the coast, have a few laughs. It's here we are. After all the back and forth, you got Maine Senator Susan Collins saying that uh, she will, in fact, support it. And Mitch McConnell saying he will, uh, yeah, he's going to get the votes. Mitch McConnell's got this done. Ooh, I think so. I think he's going to manage to, uh, you know, get this passed. So. Close to Gergen, but a little different from Gergen, the Mitch McConnell. Uh, big hitter, the Mitch McConnell. Um, the latest here is that it looks like they have the vote. They're probably going to get this through. 
And Wall Street Journal is super excited about this. Uh, I have to love, uh, there's definitely a wing of the Republican Party and, and a wing of conservatism that gets more excited about tax cuts than anything else. And because it's a Friday, I feel like I'm, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to be a downer and tell everybody that tax cuts without decreases in spending is, is a problem. Uh, because you know what? Let's just, let's just enjoy our tax cut while we can. Uh, I, I've, I've given you my whole case for skepticism, and many of you remain completely unmoved by my skepticism, and so that's fine. Uh, we, will, we will see how all this goes. I also would note now, and we should probably excerpt this segment of the show for quick access later on, there will be, over the course of Trump's first term, a major correction in the stock market. There will be a, a major economic downturn overall. Not saying a depression or even a great recession, but there's going to be some kind of uh, readjustment in our economic fortunes in this country, and they are going to blame it all, all of it on Trump. Right? They're going to act like the 20 to soon to be $21 trillion of debt was all accumulated because of the sale of, of MAGA hats or something. It'll all be on Trump. Just be prepared for that. Um, but yeah, they, they say they have the votes. They say they can do it. Um, I'm trying to see, trying to see where the uh, do we Tyrone? Do we know when the vote is going to happen? I'm trying to find that here. Not yet. They've been ta- yeah, they're talking about it. a lot of talking down there on Capitol Hill. Um, by the way, do you agree with me that uh, in terms of criminal uh, criminal stories from the 1990s? Criminal justice cases. OJ number one, Pablo Escobar number two, or do you think Pablo gets the number one spot? No, no, I agree with you. I think the one untold story that I think they have to dig into is that Griselda Blanco, who was known as the Black Widow, who actually put Pablo Escobar in business. She was big in the 80s, but got arrested in the 90s, and she was part of that cocaine cowboy wars, and I think her stories would be a big one if, if it was told properly. Anybody who's listening who has not seen it, the documentary Cocaine Cowboys is incredible. It moves very quickly. It's very good. And Griselda Blanco is, according to one of the, I think he's a Miami-Dade police officer, but a law enforcement officer, if she was, she ended up being, I think uh, they assassinated, she was assassinated on the streets of Columbia. Someone in like a, on a motorcycle with an Uzi came by and, you know, for past transgressions or whatever, took her out. But they think she may have been the most prolific uh, drug kingpin murderer in the history of the United States. Responsible personally for ordering dozens of lethal hits, dozens of murders, perhaps even upwards of like three digits. I mean, it's really... It's uh, it's it's grisly stuff uh, when you when you hear the stories. But anyway, yeah, the Griselda Blanc. I think they're. I heard they're making a movie about her. By the way, they yes, may be. They are. Uh, J Lo's going to play her. No way. J Lo is going to play her. Oh my gosh, I did not know that. That's Miss Molly likes J Lo. I'm not a J Lo person, so I asked Molly. I asked Molly today. I said if we could hang out with with uh, Beyonce or Taylor Swift right now. Who's, and she's like, don't make me, don't make me choose. <laughs> I was like, okay. But she also likes Jennifer Lopez. We got some calls here on the, uh, on the lines. Let's get into some of them. We got uh, Donnie from Virginia. Hey, Donnie, what's up? Hey, how are you? I'm all right, Donnie. Thanks for calling in. 
Um, okay, first quote. If All you right. messed up just this much, I'll put a bullet in your head. And I got another quote for you if you want one more. Uh, all right. Pa- pass on this one. Hit the buzzer. I don't know that. What is that? It's from um, Point of No Return with Bridget Fonda. Ah, okay. I've kind seen that. You got me. I'm, I'm not going to say. Action movies. Th- that's not a. That's not a sort of a timeless action movie quote, but it, it, legit, I'll, I'll let it. Well, I'll I mean, let it pass. The All right. One would have been better where she says, "I never did mind the little things." There, you, that I would have gotten. Or when she talked about how okay. Nina Simone was what her mom made her listen to, and so she loves listening right. to Nina Simone. I know the movie pretty well. Gabriel Burns actually pretty solid in it too. Yeah, good movie, great movie. All right, and what's your next one? Give Thank me another one. Uh, well, no, that was it. They was, oh, okay. I was give you two quotes from the same movie in case the one quote was a little too obscure. Oh, all right, yeah. I mean, it's all right. We'll 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 take it. I'm in a good I'm in a good mood today, Donnie. So we'll uh, we'll, we'll <laughs> well, wave we'll wave this I love one your home. Show, by the way, I love What's your up? show. It's great. Oh, thank you, sir. Thank you very much, Donnie Shields. Hi, man. Have a great weekend, Bill in Mississippi. WJDX. Hey, Bill, you're next door. What's up, my man? Shields up, brother. Shields high. Ah. Uh, Wait, I need I need to ask you an important question, Bill. What does Mississippi have on Louisiana? Like, if, if we're if we're lining them up one against the other, what, what what does Mississippi have that Louisiana doesn't? Like, where where do you you guys must have some rivalry down here? Come on. Uh, well, yeah, you know the old Miss LSU thing, big rivalry. Uh, I went to Southern Miss, so it, that's not as big of a deal with me. But uh, I, I'm not going to sit here and talk trash about Louisiana. I've been to the state countless times and I love being there I love it look uh, at this fraternity and brotherhood and love between Louisiana and Mississippi see I know if I get a Texas caller and then an Oklahoma caller I can just I can start all kinds of nonsense there you know yeah don't get me started on Alabama though oh okay see there we go now <laughs> I was wondering where the you know where the the rivalry was it's not with Louisiana you love Louisiana it's Alabama that you got issues with fair enough man so what else is on your mind all right uh, let's start off with a quote Okay. Uh, all right. It's, uh, are you boys going to draw those pistols, or are you just going to stand there whistling Dixie? Um, is that uh, – wait, hold on, hold on. It's the, it's the Kurt Russell, uh, you know, Wyatt Earp movie, uh, which I love, but I'm blanking on the name right now, which is crazy because I've seen it a million times. Uh, you're, you're thinking of Tombstone. Tombstone, yeah. No, it is not that. It was the outlaw Jersey Wales. Oh, dang it. You guys know that I'm weak. I'm weak on the Westerns. This is now my secret's out. I'm not good on the Westerns, but. Yeah, that, that, that's one you need to see. I think that's one of Eastwood's best films. Is that, I was going to say, is that the best Western with Eastwood starring? Uh, for, for my taste, yes. You know, I think Letters, Letters from Iwo Jima is a, is an underrated movie. And I thought it was very strong. Uh, the uh, what was it? Flags of Our Fathers. Yeah, both of them. Flags of Our Fathers and Letters from Iwo Jima. I feel like they're underrated movies. I think that they belong oh. at that in that top tier of of World War II epics. Uh, and I feel like they don't, I don't. I feel like he doesn't get his due with those movies. Yeah, I agree. Also, while you're in New Orleans, uh, you're looking for food suggestions. Yep. I apologize yep. for the. Oh, she in the background. Uh, there's a place called Central Grocery. It's where the muffaletta sandwich was invented. You've got to go by Central Grocery 
if, if you're by yourself, don't quarter a hole and you'll never finish it. Just get a half or a quarter. And oh, it's best sandwich in America. I will check it out. Thank you, my friend. Shields High. Have a great weekend, Bill. Appreciate it. Hope you have a good time down there in Mississippi. See, that was so nice. He's like, I'm not going to talk any smack about Louisiana as a Mississippian. I love Louisiana. It's Alabama. Now, I don't know if any Alabama callers want to take issue with that. <laughs> I just want to instigate the states to give each. I mean, this is like, I can't help myself. If someone, if someone baits me with, you know, with a New Jersey comment, I'm going to start saying some stuff, even though I love New Jersey. And many of my best friends live in New Jersey. But I can't help it. You know, it's a New York thing. It's just you're, you're trained, you're conditioned to have certain states. You know, people want to talk about Connecticut. I'm like, man, that's fine. I have no... I've got no beef with Connecticut, but Jersey as a New Yorker, and I always wonder what the state. I mean, the Texas, uh, Texas, Oklahoma state rivalry is is incredible. Um, so there's that. Uh, Stephen in Ohio, listening on the Blaze Radio app. Hey, Steve. Hey, Buck. How are you, man? I've been listening to you since the very first Saturday show. So. Oh wow, OSS. Good to have you, sir. Oh yeah. I'm part of the Team Buck original. Got I wore out my Commie Bear T-shirt. Tell you what, um, you, it's, I've just been so glad to see your career take off. Thank you, sir. I'm trying. Still, hey, still alive. Yeah, still fighting. I, yeah. So I uh, I go to New Orleans uh, quite a bit, and our church has been going down there since uh, the year after Katrina. And I want to tell you a place to try if you can. They're not they're only open for lunch. A little place called Cafe Reconcile. Okay. All right. It's over uh toward the ninth ward. It's uh it's it's uh you know, in an area of town that really got hit hard by Katrina. Um they're still rebuilding. I mean, that church goes down there and helps them rebuild still to this day. But Cafe Reconcile actually brings people off the street and says, you know, you want to stop committing crime, you want to get out of your, you know, you're headed to prison, let's get you trained. And they give them uh, an 11-week course. They do awesome work about, you know, interpersonal skills and just getting people uh, trained up to be in the restaurant business and then helps them find jobs when they're done with the training. Well, that sounds and like a great food, a great program and a great place. I, I will tell Miss, Miss as soon as I tell Miss Molly, awesome. she's going to want to go there, yeah. and then she's going to want to go and, and visit and, and try to get involved with whatever the local, uh, you know, she likes all, the, all the, the, the helpful outreach options that one has. She'll want to probably volunteer, she'll volunteer at Cafe Reconcile and then also at the local ASPCA, too. She likes to help people. She likes to help animals. Um, Anyway, uh, thank you very much for that uh, that recommendation. I'll go down there and check it out. Sounds like they're doing great work, and the food here is amazing. I, I am blown away by how good the food has been so far. Although I'm going to come back to New York a little chubbier. Anyway, we've got more. Stay with me, team. As a quick aside here, team, I see that a former NSA employee has pled guilty, pleaded guilty. Come on, Buck, pleaded. I was never a lawyer. Um. Uh, pleaded guilty to taking classified information. Uh, just I bring it up because that's a crime for some people, not for Hillary. But it wasn't Mark classified. No, it was actually Hillary in some cases, Mark classified. But I, I can't see unless it's the check for a speaking engagement, and then I can see all the zeros. <sighs> 
Some people go to prison. Hillary gets uh, almost handed the presidency. That's the way that that's the way that that whole thing works with classified. Uh, anyway, it's I, I should know. There's also a lot of backtracking. Um, so I just, just putting that out there about the uh, this is a New York Times story. So this guy this guy's going to go to prison for a few years. But uh, Hillary, you know, didn't even get charged. Didn't even get charged. Everybody. It's not even like she beat the rap. They didn't even didn't even make her go through the process. Uh, I'm also seeing a lot of people realizing that. They really don't have as much on Trump. A lot of a lot of journalists that were oh this morning, yeah, they've got him, they've got Trump. Uh, no, they really don't at all. And and this Mueller thing, it, there's only one way that it ends where it doesn't look uh, utterly uh, utterly pathetic and and just like a complete political hit, which I think is what it is. And that's if at the very end of this, Mueller turns you know turns around the American people, holds a press conference, and he says. I charged for everything I possibly could, everybody. I left no stone unturned. I did not give anybody a get-out-of-jail-free card. Anybody who violated the law in even the slightest degree has been brought to account for it. There was no collusion. Trump administration did nothing wrong. We need to move on. That is possible here. I'm not saying that's likely. I think that's very unlikely. But that is possible as one explanation for how this all ends, I would still feel like these process crimes that they've charged for uh, for Flynn and for others are are Mickey Mouse. But nonetheless, there is a scenario here where the strict uh, Javert like prosecutorial zeal as Les Mis reference for those of you who are. Uh, uh, Monsieur Valjean. Da, 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 da. Remember all that? Uh, uh, yeah, he's the power mad prosecutor who won't let the guy who stole some bread or whatever to feed somebody won't let him go. Oh man, I, I kept talking. I didn't even get into what I want to talk about next. Uh, anyway, that's just my sense on that. Oh, the other thing is the Logan Act, which I'm seeing now is also creating a lot of memes on Twitter and Facebook about Wolverine and how he has violated the Logan Act. Uh, if they really think that they're going to get conspiracy to vi- that the Trump administration is going to be brought down by conspiracy to violate a statute that has never once been charged in its existence because it's almost certainly unconstitutionally vague, this whole thing is pathetic. And I'm starting to think that maybe that's it. Maybe the charge, the underlying charge, is conspiracy to violate the Logan Act, which would be laughable, but also pretty shocking in its stupidity. So we'll see. Oh, let's talk about Matt Lauer and sexual harassment coming up here. Hour three. Stay with me. It's been two years since you've been here. Has it? It has been. March, I think, 15th. The eyes Are of March. Are you counting? I am. It's been hard. Sad. It's been Sad. hard. The major thing that's changed since you were here last? Yes. I have now seen you naked. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm so you. sorry about that. I have seen you naked. Were you able to sleep afterwards? I, 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 you know, Why are you looking down? It's now my screensaver. <laughs> Hathaway, good morning. Nice to see you. Good morning, Matt. Seen a lot of you lately. <laughs> Sorry uh, about that. You were... <laughs> I, I, I'd be happy to stay home, but uh, the film. <laughs> Let's just get it out of the way. You had a little wardrobe malfunction mm. the other night. What's the lesson learned from something like that, other than that you keep smiling, which you always do? Well... It was obviously an unfortunate incident. So, um, so let's talk, so let's get back to the most creative (laughs) terms of a question I have ever heard, and I'm going to take it. There you have Matt Lauer, formerly 
NBC's $25 million a year man uh, who seems to excel at trying to uh, verbally undress people who are on his show. Uh, such a creepster. Uh, it, is, it is astonishing as we sit here and uh, finally take stock of how much well, I was going to say how much evidence there was that Lauer was engaging in this kind of behavior. But even beyond that, that this is somebody who was held up for the rest of the country in the way that he was, given the incredibly rarefied perch that he occupied with tremendous access and influence and, and mountains of cash says a lot about our news industry, doesn't it? I've said to you before that the swamp that has been cleaned out this year or is in the process of getting cleaned out has been much more so the media than politics. And I have to say, I think that is most certainly true. Early on, when the first major sexual harassment stories were breaking in Hollywood, the biggest one or the, the one that broke the dam was the Harvey Weinstein story. But I told you that in the news business, it was just as bad in terms of the power dynamic and the amount of exploitation that goes on, that we would find out many of these stories, and we certainly have. In fact, if one was so curious, I, I don't keep track of every specific statement, every utterance that I make on this show, because, you know, I got other things to do. Down here in New Orleans with Miss Molly having a lovely time, I, I can't catalog my, my every word after the show, but I kept telling you, oh, in the news business, there's going to be more, trust me. And I, based on rumor, and I can say that some of the rumors I've heard have already been proven true about different individuals, based on rumor, there are some other names, leftist Democrat names, that may see the light of day when it comes to uh, sexual harassment and, and sexual abuse. Uh, but also, I, I just have always resented the way that certain personalities and uh, really certain concepts of how people uh, should be forced to, or, or how people are allowed to present themselves on TV as, you know, great guys, always oh, brand is, you know, he's just the real journalist. He's the real deal. And many of us sit around saying, it's just a phony. The guy's just a phony. And with Lauer, Think about what he was doing and then what he was presenting on air. It's, it was just all an act. He's an actor. What you see here is that Hollywood and the TV news business are just extensions of one another. Largely the same. In fact, I would argue that in many cases, TV journalists don't even have the specific skills of actors or, or don't have quite the, haven't attained quite the level uh, in their craft as, as some of the more talented actors have. So it is uh, pretty, pretty amazing to see how now all the information's finally come out. Now we're all seeing just how bad Lauer's behavior was this whole time. And I am I'm pleased to say that he's such a creep and he's such a, such a clear transgressor and it's not representative of the way that people are in this country. You know, the one thing that has, even though he's got this elevated position and he's being treated like some kind of TV royalty, 
you know, I'm down here, as I said, in, in New Orleans, and one thing that really strikes me right away, uh, because I've just, I'm somebody, when I'm in a new place, I really like to talk to everybody who is, you know, I, I like to talk to everybody who's local and try to pick up whatever information I can. And so I've been speaking to as many, uh, oh gosh, I'm, I just realized I'm not even sure I know what the term is, New Orleans, um, New Orleansians, as I can. And I'm struck, and Molly feels the same way. We're struck by just how considerate and polite everybody is. And you get the sense that so many of these strangers that I approach and, and want to have a just a, a chat with about, you know, where's the best place for me to get Miss Molly a, uh, a, a an alligator hamburger um, because I'm trying to make her eat that. She won't, but, you know, whatever the question may be, and you get a lot of people around here who take a real interest and want to be helpful. And I just think that it's astonishing how many people there are in this country who attain tremendous prominence in our politics and in media who aren't even at the level of just the, you know, the, the random folks that I'm talking to walking, walking around Jackson Square here in New Orleans, you know. Who aren't, who aren't even as, as ethical as, as uh, certainly not as friendly, uh, but not as, not as decent, not as honorable. There, there's something in our system right now, and I think that's maybe in the long term one of the benefits of what we're seeing happening here with all this, uh, all these purges, these sexual harassment purges, is that somehow the psychopathic figures – or maybe psychopathic is too strong. Sociopathic. There we go, Buck. Psychopathic is a little next level. Although there are some characteristics of psychopathy uh, that are uh, that have been exhibited by some of these sexual harassers, for sure. But these sociopaths become so powerful and so heralded, and we're all supposed to think that they're just great. And they're not. And I think there is an awakening happening right now in this country about that. I think that folks now are seeing that so many of those that are foisted upon us with greatness that is completely inexplicable and indecipherable. Why is this person so highly paid, so prominent, so powerful? And you see it happening. And the answer is, in many cases, 80% luck and 20% a complete and utter lack of scruples, dignity, honor, integrity, you name it. And I would like us to change that system. I would like I would like more people to rise in politics and in media who give me the the same feeling of uh you know, warmth and candor and friendliness that you'll get from people that are just normal Americans. You know, just just decent people. I, I know it sounds like I'm uh, doing a Christmas special here or something, but that's how I feel. It's just amazing. Matt Lauer, what a creep. All right, I'll be back. I'm going to talk to you about some books this hour because you guys ask me about that a lot. Stay with me. It's time for some Team Buck books. <laughs> this is a maybe not a segment we'll do all the time, but I occasionally get requests from you uh, about just book recommendations because I like to read a lot. Miss Molly uh, makes fun of me because I will take any opportunity to look at my Kindle app on my iPhone and try and just knock some pages out uh, whenever I can. Doesn't matter, you know, sometimes on the street and in traffic and well, not while driving, but uh, this is something that I'm, I'm always trying to just use whatever time I can 
to read more. And one, because I love it, but also I find it's the single most important thing I do for this show. Uh, yes, reading the news day in and day out, but also reading in the more, more old school format of books, bringing the knowledge of the, of issues that can only come and the perspective that comes from diving deep enough into a subject to read two, three, five, nine hundred pages on something uh, at a time. So with that, I thought it would be fun instead of just in off the top of my head, I would just share with you without an in-depth analysis of any of them. Although if you're curious, you can write me and you can uh, share with me at a, at a later point, you know, your thoughts on these books. But if you have questions, you can write me on them. Uh, I'll just read you what's on my Kindle. Now, I, I have a fondness for hard copy books, actual physical books as well. And I can post some photos on facebook.com slash Buck Sexton, as I've done in the past, of my book stacks, both the finished stacks as well as the to get to stacks. Uh, but I thought that it might be easiest right now to just look at what we have on my Kindle. So with that, I will share with you the following. Um, okay, I have a book called, okay, here we go. White Gold, The Aquariums of Pyongyang, Antifa, The Anti-Fascist Handbook, uh, Dracula, Prince of Many Faces, What Happened, Hillary Rodham Clinton, uh, by Hillary Rodham Clinton, Escape from Camp 14, uh, Don Quixote, Dracula, Frankenstein, American Lion by John Meacham, Seeing Like a State, Orwell's 1984, G.K. Chesterton, Eugenics and Other Evils, The History of the Fabian Society, Left of Boom, Walter Isaacson, Einstein, Isis, Inside the Army of terror mark twain the innocents abroad and the works of h l mencken so that gives you a sense of what's you know if you're, if you're looking for some wrecks either books to buy or what i have been uh, thumbing through recently and what i have read recently uh, those are that's a pretty good summary now these are books that i'm reading on my own and i'm trying to focus more on just what i am reading or have read instead of what I am doing research on, right? Because I'm actually working on some projects that require me to compile a whole bunch of books. But I, I can't sit here and tell you that you should spend your time, for example, reading books uh, about, you know, the, the history of, of authoritarianism, for example, or the psychology of peoples or uh group psychology, propaganda. These are all things that I read for research and for my own purposes. But some of the ones that I've recommended to you are, I've told you about the Aquariums of Pyongyang and Escape from Camp 14, two books on North Korea that you must, must, must read. It will give you an understanding of North Korea that you would not have otherwise. And it'll influence the way you think about all this news coverage of North Korea and everything that's going on. Dracula, Prince of Many Faces. It's by Radu Florescu and a, a co-author, McNally. It's very thorough. You know that I find the real Vlad Dracul character fascinating. I've done shows on it. 
The Dracula Prince of Many Faces book, though, it's it's a little too dense and too detailed, and the and it lacks narrative flow. So it's not a with, with all due respect to the authors, it's not a great read, but it contains a lot of historical information on Dracula. So I read, I mean, I've read that one cover to cover uh, more than well once, and then gone back to it for research purposes because I, with a Kindle, I can highlight and feel like I'm not disrespecting the book. Uh, I said Escape from Camp 14. What happened? With Hillary Clinton that I just had to read for work purposes. Not really a whole lot of new there. Uh, Don Quixote. I'm not finished with Don Quixote. That's Miguel de Cervantes. Some people claim it is the greatest novel ever written. Uh, It is certainly a long novel. I'm making my way through that. Uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, which I knew the story well and had read excerpts of, but I went back and read the whole thing cover to cover. It's funny because producer Amy went back and read Dracula, Bram Stoker's original uh, Dracula as well around the same time I did. And we just figured that out. And we were talking about books uh, before a show one day. And it's a masterpiece. I mean, Bram Stoker's Dracula is, it's almost like a screenplay written before there was such a thing as a movie. It flows really well. There's a lot of brilliance in it, and it, it is a true masterpiece. So I know you know the story of Dracula, and you know, you'll pick up on a lot of stuff that you already know as you go through it. But if you go back and read the original, especially if you want to read something kind of spooky at night before you go to sleep, and one thing about the original Dracula, there is a very clear uh, God versus the devil, good versus evil, Christian versus uh, or, or, or Christ versus Satan aspect of it. And it's often lost I, in the modern incarnations of the vampire mythology. Uh, it's often lost that it was the, the secret weapon, if you will, or the ultimate weapon against Dracula was the Eucharist, the body and blood of Christ, that that could be used against the demon effectively uh that that gets lost in some of the modern vampire translations uh, that it was christ and the cross and jesus that was the greatest enemy of dracula Uh, dracula representing in this case the the devil and the darkness so i just would go back and read it and you'll see what i mean there's a very clear christian theme to the book that is uh, not that doesn't stay through the rest of uh, doesn't stay through the rest of the modern versions and then just two authors that may otherwise escape your attention if you're somebody who just likes wit and insight and truly great writing uh, it's hard to be gk chesterton i put him right up there in the same category as say an orwell uh, or hl mencken some of his stuff is not going to stand up to a modern, uh, to our modern sensibilities, but uh, Mencken had a lot of wit and a lot of flair and style in his writing and uh, insight and, and was not afraid, not afraid to say things that at that time or any time would have been uh, controversial. I also have Michel Ulbeck's book Submission, which is a French novel that I, I read that I really liked and would very much recommend to all of you. It's about the Islamization of France. So that's one that comes up on the Kindle, right? I mean, I have 160 books on my Kindle, so I'm trying. I mean, the Koran is on here because I want to be able to jump back and forth in it, and it's easier 
And, you know, it's just for research purposes, having a digital copy is very helpful. Uh, what else is in here? Um, Adios America and Coulter. That's in my Kindle. Read that one cover to cover as well. Very much recommend that to all of you. Anne is, Anne is great at what she does. A very talented writer. And then, I know, I've got a whole lot of other stuff on here that I won't get into for right now. But that should hopefully keep you busy for a while. I gave you a whole bunch of what's on Buck's Kindle. And this is a continuing theme of Buck's Books that we can uh, revisit together as you see fit. Seeing Like a State is fascinating, but it's very dry. It's by James C. Scott. He's a Yale professor, but it'll explain why governments mess up in a way that you might find really illuminating. But yeah, Dracula, read that. If you haven't read Frankenstein, I'll tell you, I had to go back and read Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I knew the story, but I'd never read it in full. Uh, Obviously, Escape from Camp 14, I've read Aquariums of Pyongyang, White Gold, very good, uh, very interesting. And those would be my... Oh, Hillbilly Elegy, I just finished recently. If you want to throw that in there too, it's good. Not as good as some people think it is, but it's, it, it flows well. And we'll return to this another time. There you go, though. If you wanted a recommendation for some books, just some random books, you can play back this podcast or uh, play this back on podcast, and there you have it. All right, team, we'll be back in just a second. Uh, That was Buck Books for this edition. Stay with me. All right, team, it's time for some Team Buck Speaks New Orleans edition. I'm going to have to get better at saying it. I have to tell you, this is a great town. I love, I'm going to try not to say New Orleans. That's just the way New Yorkers say it. And people from New Orleans, I'm sure, are just, they, they probably laugh. I hope they laugh at it. Hi, I would like to go to New Orleans. I'm flying out of LaGuardia Airport. Uh, it's New Orleans. So, in any event, uh, it is a great town. I love this place. Um, Ms. Molly talks sometimes about how she wants to move down here. So, that's a whole other thing that I'm going to have to handle over the next few days. Uh, but it is great. Uh, people are super nice. And it's just got so much culture. It's a thriving awesome town and uh, the food so far i haven't even really gotten too deep into the culinary experience but everything i've had delicious and i'm really looking forward to it i'm going to be checking out some of the mainstay uh flagship new orleans restaurants this weekend so uh, i'll be bouncing around and spending some time in the french quarter and uh, i'm i'm psyched oh i'm gonna go on a on a bayou alligator tour which is uh, something I'm really looking forward to. I'm going to go check out a voodoo tour as well. So I'm going to see alligators. I'm going to enter the spirit realm and go check out some graveyards and, and make my way to the World War II Museum. So just so far, I have to say, uh, two thumbs way up for, for New Orleans. And I, I want to thank the folks here at WRNO for so graciously hosting me. It's one of our wonderful affiliates on uh, the Buck Sexton Show. And it's, it's been a great experience, and I'm so happy to be down here. And I'll be in the same spot. I'm going to be broadcasting from New Orleans on Monday. So with that, let's get into some Team Buck Speaks. Buck, I disagree with your theory that we will have to learn to live with a nuclear North Korea. We will expend all diplomatic options, encourage our allies to put pressure on North Korea, and get China to intervene in the region. So, when all else fails, we will destroy the North Korean arsenal facilities 
and regime, but only after they belligerently defy the world and launch a missile with intent to destroy one of our allies. We have the capability to do it. It's just a matter of will. We may have to employ our laser cannons for the first time. Lasers. Doing so would terrify not just our enemies, but our allies. I'm sure President Trump and DOD will make every effort to avoid doing that until it's absolutely necessary. We're in the 21st century now. Star Wars is becoming less fiction, more fact. Shields high from Thomas. Okay, Thomas, a few things. We're already doing all the things that you are suggesting we will do as a country, and none of them so far have been sufficient to even slow down, never mind stop, the North Korean nuclear program in any meaningful way. So I I have to say, I, I wish I could share your enthusiasm for diplomacy and sanctions working. I wrote about this on thehill.com, I should note, for those of you who uh, would like to read it. It is, the piece was published yesterday on thehill.com, get ready for a North Korea that can fire nukes anywhere. I make my argument in some detail there, so go check that out at thehill.com and, or on bucksexton.com if you just want to go to the easiest place to find it. Um, and Thomas and I are just going to have to agree to disagree on that one. Joseph writes in the following, uh, Geronimo was Apache, not Navajo. Ha, I got to correct the buckster. That made my day, and I mean that as a compliment. Keep it up, man. Well, Joseph, you're right. I'm wrong. Uh, it is. He was, in fact, an Apache, not Navajo. So uh, you got me. You got me. We could we could have Tyrone hit the buzzer because you got me. Uh, Jason writes in with the following. Just heard you uh, mention that more history deep dives are in the works uh, for the podcast. Made my day. Well, Jason, I'm so glad. Those history deep dives require a lot of research and effort on my part, but because all of you listening seem to enjoy them so much and get so much out of them, and I love doing them, we're moving in that direction in a big way in 2018. And look, I'm just going to tell you right now, the, the first podcast that I have in mind, the first podcast on the schedule, Charles Martel, The Hammer, turning back the first major wave of jihad into the heart of Europe itself. Ooh, it's going to be good. All right, now we got one from David. And remember, this is on Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Hey, Buck, I've been trying to get through on Military Quote Friday, but have yet to be successful. Having said that, I'm going to give you my military movie quote right here. If you decide to use it but don't know the answer, I will provide the answer. Good luck. Here it is. Huh. The Navy just saved our butts. Well, I can tell you that you got me, David. I have no idea what that one is, so you'll have to write in and tell me. Uh, so there you go. Bo writes in with a short but sweet message here. Great show and shields high. Well, thank you, Bo. Very much appreciate you listening. All right, Mark writes in with the following good show tonight. Thank you, Mark. Uh, that was for Wednesday night, so I'm glad you liked that show. Jason... <laughs> Writes in with the following buck. I heard what you say said about bacon saving dishes. I'm here to one up you, brother. Try this for Christmas. Bacon wrapped brined turkey stuffed with sausage stuffing. It was insane and delicious. Folks, I can tell you, I can describe this photo. It's going to be a little dirty. I don't know if you're ready for this. But Jason sent me a naughty looking turkey that is covered in juicy fatty 
amazing strips of bacon. The whole turkey. It is literally covered every inch of it in bacon. I didn't know that was a thing people did. And it is amazing. Jason also writes, you're welcome. Love you, bro. Jason, love you too. And love your idea of a bacon wrapped turkey with stuffing. It's awesome. Uh, One more here. Kirk writes in Buck. I really enjoy your foreign policy coverage. It is such a nice shift from the domestic narrative. I also want to mention something regarding a tax plan that nobody is talking about. Uh, That is the slight tax increase for those earning between 68,000 and 250 K. That is a segment of the middle class that does not have the tax shelters of the very rich, nor the deductions of the working class. Um, So there you go. Uh, And I agree with you, Kirk. And thank you very much for writing in. All right. That's going to be it for my first uh, edition of the Freedom Hunt New Orleans. New Orleans. I'm working on it. Thanks again to WRNO for hosting me and to uh, all our listeners in the New Orleans area. And of course, Team Buck across the whole country. Uh, I am excited to explore the Big Easy over the course of this weekend and just dive as deep as I can into local cuisine and meet a lot of folks. If you live in the area, you see me on the street, you listen to the show, please do say hi. Maybe you'll even get to meet Miss Molly, which is way more exciting than meeting me. Anyway, have a great weekend, everyone. I'll talk to you on Monday. Shields high.